When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. To those of you who are season one listeners, welcome back. And to those of you who are new to my podcast, welcome to season two of the Pregnancy Wellness Podcast hosted by me, Pip. I'm a practicing midwife and enthusiast of all things women's wellness, especially when it comes to pregnancy and motherhood. Do you find yourself with lots of pregnancy questions unanswered? Do you feel that extra midwifery support would be useful to you? Do you fully understand how to enhance your pregnancy wellness? You are in good hands. This podcast is for you. Alongside this, I have also been busy creating a 12-month pregnancy journey support group and course to provide you with a whole package of expert wellness and pregnancy information to guide you every step of the way, leaving no stone unturned from trimester one right through to trimester four. And I'm now enrolling expectant mums in their first trimester. Spaces will be limited, so if you think this sounds like you, get in touch through my social media or at midwifepip.com. Over the upcoming 15 episodes, I'm excited to be chatting with expert guests and real women on this season to bring you honest, evidence-based information and top tips to navigating your pregnancy wellness journey. I hope these episodes leave you feeling positive and empowered. And don't forget, for more support and birth preparation, to check out my website, midwifepip.com, for your free birth preference plan download. I hope that you are sat comfortably and ready for the midwife chats and knowledge bombs to commence. As you move through pregnancy and into motherhood, one of the main things you may be considering is how to feed your baby. Breast, bottle, expressing and mix feeding are among some of the many terms and choices we hear of when we start to navigate our choices. From the benefits, equipment to purchase, tongue ties and feeding positions, it can feel like a minefield. On this week's episode, I am very excited to be joined by the perfect expert to help you navigate these choices and crucially to share some of her expert tips and tricks to a successful feeding journey. 
Stacey Zimmels is a feeding and swallowing specialist speech therapist and international board certified lactation consultant. Stacey has worked for almost 20 years supporting infants and children with a wide range of feeding and swallowing difficulties. Her breadth of knowledge and experience runs across the spectrum, including but not exclusive to preterm infants, breast and bottle feeding, weaning difficulties, managing allergies and reflux, swallowing difficulties and fussy eating. Stacey runs a private practice and continues to hold an honorary contract at the Royal Brompton Hospital, where she continues to work on clinical research and provides locum services. Stacey has published abstracts and articles in her field of interest and has presented at conferences. In addition to her work supporting children and families, she is passionate about training others in her field. She provides clinical supervision services for a number of other feeding specialist SLTs within the NHS. She's also consulted on the NHS service management and development for feeding and swallowing services. I mean, welcome, Stacey. That is an impressive bio. We're definitely in good hands with you here. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Pip. I'm so pleased to be here. Oh, I'm so grateful that you're giving up your precious time, especially in lockdown 3.0, um, to help us to navigate some of the, the myths and the information that's out there about infant feeding. Stacey, I just wonder, what kind of drew you to a career in kind of infant feeding and speech therapy? Um, so from very early on, I was quite interested in... Um, children around me um, particularly who were different who had dif difficulties in terms of like their development or physical challenges just in general and I got drawn into the sort of communication and speech therapy side of things and then qualified and trained as a speech therapist and then as I did my training and learned that part of the scope and role of a speech therapist is also around feeding and can be quite medical that further sort of piqued my interest and after about a year and a half out of university doing a broad range of children's speech and language work, I moved into uh, doing extra training qualifications around um, feeding in general. And then over the last, I guess, sort of 18 or so years from then, I've um, specialized more and more, um, trained more and more. And a couple of years ago, when I was on maternity leave with my second child, I did my qualification to become a lactation consultant. Um, and I'm just super passionate about supporting families around any areas of feeding and making sure that the sort of broader population, I suppose, has access um, through my Instagram, social media to really good quality information around feeding because, uh, you know, everybody is a specialist in, <laughs> on the internet. That's and so when I had my first and I was sort of frantically Googling all sorts of things in the middle of the night, I 
realized just quite how much rubbish was out there around feeding. And I sort of wanted to contribute positively to that. Um, and I've grown um, quite a, you know, a large community now on my uh, Instagram account, Feed, Eat, Speak. And I love doing that alongside sort of the one-to-one support that I provide families. Oh, I totally caveat that Stacey's Instagram page is fantastic and it is full of amazing information. It's linked in the um, bio to this episode, so absolutely check that out if you've got sort of more questions and things after you've listened to us chat today. But that's a really good point, Stacey. There is so much kind of conflicting and confusing and inaccurate information on the internet that it can be such a minefield. But it's scary because it's so easy to access. Like you said, Julia, you were Googling it in the middle of the night. It's literally at the end of our fingertips, isn't it? And it can be really challenging to navigate the kind of useful information from the absolute rubbish that's out there. Exactly. And often at the times so of just, you know, myself as a, as a new mum, the times when you most go down that sort of dark Google hole are the times when you're probably struggling and the most vulnerable. So it's, it's really, um, it's a really hard place to be as a mum. And, you, you know, you may or may not see the conflict as you're there and get yourself confused, or you just may take some well-meaning but inappropriate advice that can actually be detrimental sometimes, particularly to breastfeeding journeys. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So thank you for all the work you're doing to provide us with at least a good resource that we can start our searches on. When it comes to... Um, kind of expectant mums considering their infant feeding choices because I think most mums start to think about this in pregnancy um what are what are kind of good things for us to start considering Stacey um, and are kind of options available sure so I mean I think you know sort of the the very basic and possibly naive view is you know are you going to breastfeed or are you going or are you going to formula feed um although but it's worth saying that within that there are other sort of options which perhaps have combinations of the two or involve expressing breast milk and um the important thing in pregnancy that I would suggest that any mother does is to educate themselves with all of the information about the options available to them, um, any benefits to them, any disadvantages, how they might work within the context of their lifestyle and um, their family and sort of how they were raised and all of those different types of things and then make a decision about um you know which direction they would like to go and how they intend to start their feeding journey in the hours post birth really um so you know the options are going to be to exclusively breastfeed so that would be to give your baby exclusively your breast milk from the breast another option might be to exclusively formula feed. So you would start by uh, giving your baby a bottle of formula milk. And then in between, there are other options um, such as mixed feeding, which is where you might breastfeed and give some formula in a bottle, um, or that's also called combination feeding. And then um, also exclusive pumping, which may be where you decide to pump um, with an electric pump usually the milk from your breast and deliver it to your baby exclusively in a bottle um, but with no other uh, artificial feed or formula in play um, 
or I suppose a combination of formula and exclusive pump, um, sorry, formula and pumped breast milk. So there's different combinations. And I think that's really useful for expectant moms to know, you know, that it isn't just this black and white, you either do one or you do the other. We have got these combinations and those, those other options. And it's also important to know that you, your feeding choice is your choice, but that in the early days, it may well be that for a medical reason or um, because there's something going on with your baby, that that choice, you know, just needs to be a little bit um, reconsidered, perhaps just in the short term. So, for example, um, I can use myself as an example. I needed to pump milk on the third or fourth day of my little, both my little ones' lives because they had quite severe jaundice and um, they were having phototherapy and uh, I was being asked by the medical team to, to top them up and to try and encourage my milk to come in. Now, that wasn't my infant feeding choice. My choice was to exclusively breastfeed from the breast. But here I was giving pumped milk from a bottle alongside breastfeeding and then I went back to exclusively breastfeeding at the breast once that phase had passed so if that is you in those early days and things come you know come along that are outside of your control it doesn't mean that you can't revert back to your choice with support and help if needed and I guess that's the same with so much isn't it in, in our pregnancy choices is that we sometimes need to just have that little bit of flexibility that we might divert from our plan a little bit but hopefully with the right sort of support and information, we can get back to the journey that we were hoping for. Um, so it kind of, infant feeding kind of fits in with, with all of that as well. Yes, yeah. Now we so often hear, I think any Google search will bring up the phrase breast is best. And we've, we've had campaigns over the years and we've seen this phrase kind of plastered everywhere. Is this a helpful phrase, Stacey? And are there any kind of health advantages that are associated with breastfeeding that mums need to know about? Sure. I mean, I just don't feel that this phrase can be helping anybody in any way firstly it's best in terms of what comparing you know it's suggesting that you know best is better than something else and it starts to pit um one infant feeding choice up against the, the next infant feeding choice and in no situation really um is that going to be helpful for mums and it and it already sets the scene for sort of judgment and the idea that within sort of the context of parenting that, well, my choice is better than yours. And then what happens and how do mums feel if they had hoped to breastfeed and actually they found either it wasn't right for them, they didn't enjoy it, or they had multiple challenges and they couldn't access support to overcome those. How does it then make you feel with this idea that, you know, sort of dangling in the air, therefore you're not the best or you're not giving your child the best. So I find it really quite unhelpful I think being informed is best and making the right choice for you when it comes to infant feeding is best um now there are multiple health um advantages to to breastfeeding your child and um that's in the context of looking at breastfeeding being this sort of evolutionary um mammalian way of um a mother providing milk to their child long before other feeds were sort of in place in, in this world really and with that it's evolved to um for the milk to really um, support the health of the infant. And so 
there are um, benefits associated that are usually most of the ones that I will cite have been looked at in terms of mothers exclusively breastfeeding, i.e. giving no other milk for at least six months. So some of them longer. Um, and so, for example, they may be things like ear infections, respiratory illnesses, gastroenteritis, um, certain childhood leukemias. Um, I should have written a list because I'm never going to remember them all off the top of my head. Um, al certain allergies or um, as well. It's, you know, sort of certainly thought to be more hypoallergenic and then longer term in terms of um, something called the microbiome, which is the sort of makeup of the infant gut um, that through to adulthood to provide longer term protection around certain diseases. And there are benefits also for a mother who is breastfeeding, particularly and specifically with quite astounding reductions or lower risk of, of getting um, breast and ovarian cancer. So there's a real multitude of those. Now, with me saying that these studies, you know, look at exclusive breastfed infants for six months, I suppose if you're listening, you're thinking, well, what if I breastfeed for six months and give a bottle of formula as well once a day? Well, any amount of breast milk will be beneficial. And certainly there are day-to-day -day antibodies and immunity that are being sort of passed through your baby that mostly we understand to be dose dependent, i.e. the more breast milk an infant might receive, the better it is for them. Things around the microbiome seem to be more associated with the exclusivity of breastfeeding, i.e. not having formula into the gut in the first six months. Um, but, you know, any breast milk is um, going to provide some advantage when it comes to your child's health. So factor that, that in when making your choice. And it's really interesting you mentioned there about the microbiome, um, Stacey, because I know there's loads more research at the moment that is being produced about actually how powerful that is for, for adults and for newborn babies in kind of mapping out some of their, their health outcomes later on. Um, so breastfeeding is a really powerful way, I suppose, of being able to facilitate that. And I know mums that I speak to who perhaps give birth by cesarean section are always really concerned that their baby hasn't received that microbiome transfer through the birth canal. But actually breastfeeding can then be a wonderful tool in um, helping to promote that in, in your newborn. So that's a really lovely point. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's um, some, some powerful things that we can that we can do as women, which is amazing. Now, in, in pregnancy, how can expectant mums, what can they do to help prepare themselves for their feeding journey? What information can they be gathering or even physical preparation, I suppose? Fantastic. So, I mean, the key thing is to inform yourself. So, um, when it comes to um, your infant feeding choice, so let's assume with breastfeeding, one of the things that's super important is to know what to expect and um, finding a source of really good quality information where you have realistic expectations of what breastfeeding um, might be like in those first days and weeks. And I talk about realistic expectations because actually I don't always think that all of the antenatal classes that might be available necessarily provide that well-rounded overview and um, what we know and understand about 
women who choose to breastfeed, um, which, you know, the sort of rates of numbers of women who stop breastfeeding in the UK are way over 80%. But actually, um, those who are still breastfeeding by six weeks are um, much, 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 much less. And that many women stop breastfeeding. And, we, you know, we understand that, that that some of that is around just them not sort of ex- knowing what to expect and therefore doubting themselves, their milk supply, um, etc. So the the best thing you can do is find a really good quality source of antenatal information that's realistic about expectations. And one of the things I do want to say here uh, really clearly to any mums who might be pregnant and listening is that, you know, you may see some wonderful videos of newborn babies crawling up the breast and self-latching. And yes, that is absolutely physiologically normal in, in um, the right circumstances, let's just say. <laughs> However, it is also quite realistic that in the first few days that actually you and your baby haven't got a clue what to do when it comes to breastfeeding. And this is really important for me to say because I'm not saying it to put women off from breastfeeding. I mean, ultimately, that's that's a woman's and uh, family's individual choice. It's about recognizing that breastfeeding however natural it may be is something that you and your baby will need to learn and the dyads so what I mean by dyad is the the mother and baby sort of together that don't that you know where it all comes really natural great that's absolutely fantastic but the vast majority that learning needs to take place and requires patience time and often additional support and so the second thing that I would say when it comes to um, sort of helping prepare yourself for the feeding journey is to really think about where you're going to get that support from if you need it. Now, that doesn't have to be like top of the range lactation consultant, you know, on speed dial on your phone, although that can be really helpful and handy to have an idea of, of who you, you know, you could go to for very specialist help. But it may be that you sort of ask around your friends and find out which ones breastfed successfully for six months and met their own breastfeeding goals because they're going to be a wealth of knowledge and support and probably reassurance for you in the early days. It might be that when you do a hospital tour or you speak to your midwife, you can find out what support is there with infant feeding. Do they have any breastfeeding specialists and how might you access it in the hospital if you need it on those first days? And Pip, you may have more information about about that within the hospital but that is is also really vital in terms of um preparation um there's one other thing that might be useful um it's usually recommended more so if you are perhaps threatening um labor um, from around 36 weeks onwards or you have complications in your pregnancy such as gestational diabetes but that might include antenatal or harvesting of colostrum and what that effectively is that from 36 weeks in gestation you can use your hands to um, uh, massage and manipulate the breast and see if you can actually express some colostrum which can be stored in syringes and frozen and taken with you to the hospital in case your baby may need it in the circumstances where they might be having early feeding difficulties. In the worst case, 
all you've done is you've learned how the skill of hand expressing, which you might need after birth anyway. Um, but in the best case, it might just take a little bit of pressure off you should, um, you know, baby need a little bit more milk or there are any concerns about how babies transferring milk in the early days. Yeah, that's brilliant advice, Stacey. I always, in my antenatal courses, we always talk about expressing and I get my little knitted boob out. And we yeah. Get that technique, because like you say, it's, it's kind of a win-win. And actually, I think also just women getting to know their bodies and navigating their bodies can also just be really beneficial. Um, and empowering. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And it might be that you don't manage to get any colostrum out or any drops yeah. out, and that's absolutely fine. When, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> sometimes like, oh my goodness, that's it. I'm not going to be able to breastfeed because I haven't yes. breastfeed colostrum, and that's not the case at all. No. The two things are not connected. No, absolutely not. We have this wonderful hormone release after the birth of our baby in placenta that starts to stimulate that milk coming in. So, so it's not it's not to be hard on yourself if you don't get it. But as you say, you learn a really great technique. So there's I can um, I can vouch for that. I had gestational diabetes in both pregnancies, and attempted to antenatally express colostrum in both pregnancies, and failed dramatically um, both times. Didn't take a drop of colostrum in <laughs> to the hospital with me I went on to exclusively breastfeed both of those little ones um and um yeah for years and years <laughs> so yeah case in point possible definitely and the other thing I would say um when we spoke about kind of hospitals and, and, and your feeding journey is not to rush going home I see so often that mums are so desperate to get home and um, and then you end up at home having not quite cracked those kind of key elements to feeding those key positions and those key little tips and tricks that can make a massive difference so don't rush it make sure you're feeling fairly confident with feeding your baby and positioning your baby and knowing the signs of um, of a good feed and things that are going well and times when you need to just kind of manipulate or correct that because there's nothing worse than them being at home with a crying baby that you're you're trying to navigate feeding and it's just it's just another barrier to accessing support when you're in the hospital everyone's there so it's really important we use that time to to establish that feeding journey in whatever way is right for you but but use that time for being absolutely foundations amazing now some of the common issues Stacey that I often see as a midwife are flat nipples is one of them Mm -hmm. and tongue ties and also issues with supply now sometimes I wonder whether there actually is an issue with supply or whether it's us women doing that thing that we always do where we just doubt our body's ability um but are there any tips or or bits of information that you could share on some of these kind of three common things that we see well let's start with supply issues um because as you've just mentioned actually (laughs) is it truly a supply issue or do we doubt ourselves so i'll give you a little bit of information so there are certain situations and cases where a woman may not be able to physically make all the milk that their baby needs, but this is by far in the minority with percentages in the studies sort of ranging from 1% to 2.5% of women. And, um, but 34% of women who stop breastfeeding before they uh, had hoped uh, cite low supply as the reason for them stopping. So there's a big disparity, isn't there, between those women who actually um, 
have that physical difficulty or challenge versus the ones who um, clearly suspect that as being the issue. And I think there's two things around that that we that we need to sort of pick up and share tips and advice on. The first thing is, is that um, there are many types of infant feeding behaviors which are normal, which may make somebody who perhaps hasn't had the fullness of education consider that this might be related to their supply. So for example, when your baby has a growth spurt, they feed vigorously for really long periods of time and seem not to want to settle anywhere other than at the breast. Or in the early days, babies will cluster feed, which means that they'll feed on the breast for hours and hours and hours before then having a, a long rest. And our instincts when Perhaps we're not surrounded by um, loved ones who have been through these journeys themselves to understand and understand the dynamics, understand that this can be quite normal is, well, then they must be hungry and that they must not be getting enough milk from me. And perhaps that's compounded by as the day goes on, the breasts feel more empty and, you know, here we go. And and you're exhausted, you know, mum's now exhausted, perhaps teary you know, and a well-meaning other, um, a partner or a parent, you know, might suggest that there is, you know, you know, they're right, maybe there isn't enough milk. So that's sort of part one, which is this idea that you, that you, your normal, your normal infant feeding behavior is related to supply when it's not necessarily the case. Because if your baby's making the right number of wet and dirty nappies and growing, then your supply must be there. Even if those boobs feel really empty at the end of the day, or you cannot put your baby down and all they're doing is rooting for the breast. The second thing that then happens is that in some cases, when you get to this point where you're feeling very depleted, perhaps you're hearing and listening to other people, who are reinforcing the idea about your supply is you then go and supplement your baby. So you might offer your baby formula from a bottle and your baby will drink it. Now, your baby will drink it because sucking is a reflex. And if you put that bottle in their mouth as a newborn, they will suck regardless of whether they're hungry or not. Talk about responsive feeding, I think, a little bit later. So that's not a sign that they were hungry. It's just a sign that they can suck like a baby does, which is fantastic. So all that happens is that you then take your baby away from the breast, which then stops the stimulation that perhaps baby would have needed. Baby fills up on a lot of formula milk, which takes double the amount of time to digest so arguably will go a longer period after drinking and reinforce the belief that actually you weren't making enough milk because look now baby's really settled and they fall into sleep etc and this is where you can actually develop effectively secondary supply issues i.e you had a good and normal supply but by supplementing you take your baby away from the breast for longer times um and therefore your breasts get the message, oh, I don't need to make as much milk. And then you can start to downregulate the supply because supply for breastfeeding works on demand. So the more you put your baby to the breast and they effectively nurse and remove milk, the, the, the more your supply will be present and available for your baby. If you take your baby away by using a dummy or supplementing with formula and, and leaving your breast without pumping or whatever, then that supply will, will downregulate. So they're the sort of um, 
things that to be considered with supply. And the solution really is to, again, you know, surround yourself by, with people who, you know, understand whether that be like a Facebook group or if you've done an antenatal course and, um, you know, that's got a support group attached to it or um, you've got somebody that you can ask, like a midwife, Um and the other thing is to recognize when actually maybe you do have supply issues and to get early support. And so that's going to be around how well your baby's feeding, wet and dirty nappies and growth. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah, that's brilliant advice, Stacey. And what, what kind of, I guess, saddens me as a midwife is that quite often that cascade is started just by us doubting our abilities to feed our baby. And we need to really move away from that and assume that our bodies are absolutely capable because they have grown this human and birthed this human so why should we doubt our ability to feed them unless kind of proven otherwise and like you say that's really small percentages actually yeah and it's really difficult because we've got to recognize and accept that we're living in a society where actually breastfeeding still isn't the norm so we're coming from a background of sort of you know our parents still being massively part of a big formula fed society where babies were typically expected to go three or four hours between feeds who were filled up um, non-responsively with reasonably large volumes of milk and so you may well have well-meaning parents who are like what do you mean you're feeding your baby again maybe you don't have enough milk because they're from a generation of four hourly feeds you know six times a day by week two and you know sleeping through the night at whatever age and stage and so whilst um you know, women ideally are going to be massively empowered to trust their own bodies. We have to recognize and accept that, you know, things aren't working with us still. <laughs> you know, we don't have stacks of support in the hospitals with qualified, experienced breastfeeding sort of um, professionals. Um, at the moment in lockdown, you know, perhaps access to community support groups, other people, you know, aren't available. So pool as many resources as you can, almost a fight against the messages that you know other people have from their own experiences or that are just embedded within our culture and society because realistically that still needs to change yeah definitely it's mad that we're still still having that conversation about trying to normalize breastfeeding isn't it like yeah we're still overcoming these hurdles you, you'd think that we would have um, smashed through them by now but i know yeah, slowly slowly yeah. should we talk about tongue ties yeah, All right. Well, firstly, what is a tongue tie? So a tongue tie is a restricted or tight or thick or short um, frenulum, which is the, I guess it's the uh, string, let's call it the string that attaches the tongue to the base of your mouth. And if that is tight, short, um, Um, or restricted, it impacts on your baby's ability to move their tongue. And your baby's ability to remove the tongue is massively important in breastfeeding, both to uh, 
create a latch and to maintain a latch and to cup the breast and remove milk efficiently and effectively. Now, these tongue ties are sometimes super obvious and you can see them when your baby lifts the, um, the tongue and you can see this very sort of tight string and maybe a heart-shaped tongue. Um, but sometimes they're less obvious. They might be called a posterior tongue tie or a submucosal tongue tie. Now, what's tricky is that um, I don't believe that routinely, and Pip, you can correct me if I'm wrong, neither midwives nor um, some of the peds that do the newborn checks are trained to comprehensively assess and identify these. And it's not routinely done in the hospital. Yet, Often I hear stories of mums saying, yes, they've been checked for a tongue tie, baby's fine. So I think that what's happening is that professionals are perhaps having a quick look and sort of dismissing the idea that there's an overt one present, but perhaps not educating the parents to say, but I'm not qualified to assess the depth of, of a full tongue and, and whether actually there might be a, a posterior one. And sometimes in the very early days, if there is a tongue tie, you might not be that aware of it. If you've got um, sort of very damaged, cracked, bleeding nipples, then it, you know, it may well be that that's the cause of that. And you might know it very early on, but actually for some, in some instances you might not, and it just presents a little bit later with slow weight gain. So, so a tongue tie doesn't always create breastfeeding difficulties, but it can. And um, if you're having challenges with breastfeeding, then the first point of sort of, um, call I suppose is position and attachment and latching your baby and doing everything you can to optimize this from the learning that you've done before you've had your baby and if those things in your toolbox don't help or the midwife that's supporting you in the hospital or the health visitor that visits you afterwards at that point then you really need to escalate the support to the level of an infant feeding specialist and if you're breastfeeding ideally at the top of the cake would be um, a, a library clc lactation consultant and they would be trained to look at the possibility of a tongue tie assess that comprehensively um, if that should be present now again you know you might get a midwife or a health visitor that can diagnose a posterior tie and that's absolutely fantastic and make on with referrals appropriately but many don't and can't so um, my caveat would be that if you've been told that your infant doesn't have a tongue tie yet you're having significant challenges with breastfeeding um it's worth just sort of getting another opinion on that alongside support. And I would also say, if the practitioner that says your baby hasn't got a tongue tie has not put your, their finger in your baby's mouth, then I would just dismiss that as, as requiring further assessment. Because actually to fully diagnose, particularly a posterior tie, you do need to palpate or feel um, below the tongue so that that's like a tip for tongue tie if your baby um you know um is causing any pain or damage um in the, the early days at all with feeding then do work on um getting your baby 
as deeply attached as you possibly can and um, in doing that you want to make sure your baby is close to your body that the chin is touching the breast that the nose is in line with the nipple that the head is free to tilt backwards um, and that you want um, an asymmetrical latch where a deeper and larger part of the underside of the areola is in the baby's mouth, whereas less is um, in the mouth at the top. Um, and you want your baby, you, you know, your baby's face should be very deep into the breast tissue. Um, and that's a sign that your baby is latched deeply. Again, another pet peeve of mine, if I can say, is that, you know, mum's being told the latch is fine when actually they're in excruciating pain because what does that mean it means that there's no way out right you know if you're being told by a professional that the latch is fine and you're in agony what other option have you got other than to stop breastfeeding or to breastfeed through pain ongoing so if you're in pain if something's not right for you and again you're being told well the latch looks fine go and get some other support from somebody else um uh, yeah, that's what I would say there. If you, I don't know if you've got anything to add. No, that's it. brilliant advice. Like you say, it shouldn't be painful. It shouldn't be a painful experience. If it is, then something needs to change, like you say. And, and if the person in front of you isn't able to give you that that input, then that's when we need to seek someone else. And um, and with with the uh, tongue tie assessments, I totally echo what you say. It's not part of a standard training for a midwife. Absolutely, some of my colleagues have gone on to do a, a kind of specialist role and a specialist course, and then they're in a great place to be able to assess that for you. And um, but otherwise, really, we just need to be referring to those people that can do that pro- proper assessment. So, and it's trusting our intuition as women sometimes. I think as well, you know, if someone says something to you that doesn't quite feel right or doesn't quite fit what's going on from that that pre-reading or, or those pre-courses that you've done, then then escalate that. Speak to somebody else. You know, there is there is people out there that can provide that specialist input. And actually, that's super hard to do when you've just given birth, isn't it, Pip? You know, I mean, I don't think I... I mean, I remember we couldn't name... I couldn't name my baby because I was so incredibly stressed with um feeding challenges and jaundice and um the threat of like a baby with a raised crp and the threat of a lumbar puncture and all sorts of post and a traumatic birth you know I had a really traumatic birth that i wasn't in my right mind and i couldn't have advocated for myself or my baby but i think my saving grace was that i'd been really clear with the people supporting me about what i thought I needed um and they were able to support me then to advocate for that so again that just comes to the point of like you being really clear with partner and or um you know parent as to you know what your goals are and and what you want to achieve and and what to do perhaps in certain circumstances almost like I think you guys um, as midwives suggest you know in that you've got a brilliant acronym what is it that acronym that you use in birth I use brain so it's benefits alternatives intuition and nothing and just helps you navigate those choices you can almost apply that to sort of 
you know, when you're faced with feeding difficulties or, you know, particularly if you're still in hospital or if you see your midwife afterwards and they're making a suggestion for you. So it's not always that if a doctor or a breastfeeding um, or a midwife or a health visitor suggests perhaps baby needs a little bit of formula at a certain point, that that's the wrong thing for your baby. But there are plenty of instances where it might be. And so using that analogy um, and trying to work out, you know, does that you know is that what's required and um, can be really helpful in that situation yeah definitely it's not a journey that we're meant to do on our own you know we we need to have that that little support and that little army around us kind of kind of helping out so it's not all on it's not all on mum it's uh, it's a team no no teamwork exactly exactly and then you mentioned about flat nipples as well yeah. so yeah about flat nipples <laughs> So I guess the first thing I want to say is that we don't call it nipple feeding, we call it breastfeeding. And so actually, if you've got flat nipples, the vast majority of mums with flat nipples should be able to go on to breastfeed their infants reasonably easily with with maybe no adaptions or perhaps some support in the early days just to get a little bit of a deeper latch. Inverted nipples can be a little bit more tricky and challenging for some mums, but not all mums. And there are some instances where, you know, they may definitely need more support, perhaps something like a nipple shield to help. There are techniques that you can do pre-birth to try and, um, retract the nipple there are different degrees of um uh, inverted nipples and you get an idea of what they are um by seeing if they can be drawn out in any way um and so for some of those in in some cases you may well need some additional breastfeeding um support quite early on um so it's recognizing your own set of circumstances and again being able to recognize where you're going to get that support should you need it in the early days yeah that's a that's a really good point so actually and actually if someone has um Stacey in their pregnancy if they notice that actually they have got inverted nipples or flat nipples and that's concerning them is it appropriate for them to speak to a specialist in pregnancy just to get those kind of tips and tricks and hopefully put their mind at ease a little bit Absolutely. So like uh, myself and other lactation consultants, we do antenatal breastfeeding one-to-ones, either for general, uh, you know, general information you want to get off to the best start you can or for specific cases so for example breastfeeding after breast surgery um flat or inverted nipples do a lot of debriefing for mums where they've had a previous breastfeeding journey that hasn't gone as they would have wanted and they want to debrief that and think about what they might do differently this time and, and if they were to have similar circumstances so absolutely um do that it's, it's probably a, a one of the best gifts you could give yourself really you know you think about all the different things you can buy for your baby um (coughs) it might be thinking about how many of those things you need and maybe looking at investing some money in in actually some you know something like this absolutely I love that I'm so for women spending their money on 
their education and their health and wellness rather than these millions of materialistic things that we can end up buying that our baby wears once and and yes. they have no real value let's be honest I'm so so for that so I'm so pleased you say that and the other thing I always add on is baby shower gifts so you can yes. end up with like a thousand gray baby goes which is lovely but actually yes. if you think that if you're concerned about your breastfeeding journey um, or you want that extra support antenatally then then why not sort of think about something like that instead that's actually going to have all those all those benefits so there is, there is ways and means absolutely a wonderful friend of uh friend or two friends um reached out to me and bought her friend antenatal breastfeeding support um and that friend then went on to have um you know a fantastic breastfeeding journey and she was really ambivalent actually about you know what what you know she was very happy with what would be would be but um she had diabetes and we talked about some colostrum harvesting and just what to expect you know with a baby you know, in terms of sugars and that sort of thing post-birth and, you know, and she navigated her way through that. And I think baby's now eight months old or something. So, um, yeah, absolutely. What a great gift, um, to give somebody. It's a brilliant idea. You sound like great friends. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such a, Such a good idea. Yeah. Now, one of the other common terms that we hear crop up, Stacey, is responsive feeding. Now, what does that actually mean? How does that look for, for breast and bottle fed babies? Sure. So we used to call it demand on feeding on demand, demand, demand yeah. feeding. Yeah. And it I think there's more on demand, isn't it? Right. Exactly. The WHO, I think, have um, rethought it. And now we call it responsive feeding, which is great. One of the differences, I think, from demand feeding to responsive feeding, particularly when it comes to breastfeeding, but also apply to bottle feeding, is that it means that it recognizes it's two of you in the dynamic, which means that you can feed your baby in response to their needs, but also in response to your needs. So, um, for example, um, responsive feeding would be that your baby starts to grizzle and you're not sure what's wrong. So you offer them the breast in case they're hungry or they need comfort from the breast. Um, responsive feeding for you might be that baby's having a really long sleep unexpectedly and it's been two and a half hours and you are about to explode your boobs just think oh my goodness this is like too much too long um and you will then wake your baby up and feed your baby another example of responsive eating perhaps with a bottle fed baby is that actually you are about to go on a two-hour car journey but your baby isn't really showing feeding cues for a bottle but equally it's going to be really tricky for you to be trying to give the baby a bottle on the motorway so you will offer your baby a bottle um responsibly um and let them take what they want um before you set off on that journey because it fits in better with what you're doing and that would be that would be all right as well so responsive feeding is basically recognizing your baby's cues and feeding your baby uh in response to those cues breast and bottle um so uh it could mean that that's as often as every two hours for a newborn, perhaps sometimes a little bit less if they're cluster feeding with um, the breastfeeding. And it may also mean that in a newborn baby who has not regained their birth weight or um, is not quite meeting their wee wee requirements at the beginning, that you wake them 
and you feed them because that's in their best interest. So it's it's both types of things. What it doesn't mean is putting a baby on a routine, feeding them by the clock, feeding them every three hours, um, stretching them in between feeds, all these sorts of terms, you know, I get lots of questions. My baby's three months old now. Uh, then how, how do I stretch them to three hourly? How do I stretch them to four hourly? And when it comes to bottle feeding, if you're formula feeding, it also means um, that what they say on the tin is a, very over-exaggerated average that uh, aims to sell more formula milk. And, you know, don't worry about what it says on the tin. Worry about what your baby wants to take and when they want to take it. And worry about um, them growing, you know, and peeing and pooing. And you can use those same parameters for bottle feeding formula as you can. And, and um, excuse me, and um, breast milk as you would with breastfeeding and finally when it comes to bottle feeding being responsive might mean that you feed your baby in a way that ensures that they take the feed nice and slow so that they can feel when they're full and stop versus a, a more traditional and typical feed which might have your baby lying down cradled in your arms uh, and the bottle tipped up with a reasonable flow tea and your baby drinking that milk very quickly there's a technique called paste bottle feeding I don't know whether you want to put the WHO leaflet on that in your yeah, um, link that in, the, um, in your notes yeah, great yeah so on responsive bottle feeding so that's what it means I, I don't know if I've done that justice because I was <laughs> I was going around the houses a little bit but hopefully that that makes enough sense but the WHO has got really good quality information which is a world Health Organization and baby friendly um, on both responsive feeding for bottles and for breastfed babies. So that makes perfect sense, Stacey. And what's really nice is it, it it shows you've got that dynamic. You know, it's it's a joint effort between the two of you. It's not it's not about one or the other. It's it's a joint dynamic between mum and baby, which is lovely. Really nice and really important. And that kind of leads me on, I suppose, Stacey, to my other question, which is. How often should a newborn be fed? I know this is a really difficult question to answer. And how can we kind of tell if a, a feed is going well? Are there any kind of pointers that we can look for? Sure, sure. Um, so how do we tell a newborn? Well, how often should a newborn be fed? It's really variable. A breastfed newborn should be fed at least eight times in 24 hours as a minimum and probably a bottle fed baby also um be unusual for them to feed probably less than eight times and um as often as 14 times in a day perhaps longer sort of looking at averages perhaps more often than that occasionally but between sort of 8 to 12 or 8 to 14 times now what I want to tell all parents is that when you're given this number you're like okay and when you're in the reality of like your baby having the 13th feed in 24 hours that feels like an incredible amount of feeding. And so it's just to know that that is still as expected. Um, and in the early days, feeds can be long, some of them. And we don't worry too much on how long a baby spends at the breast if it's 
40 minutes or um, 15 minutes. Um, but what we're concerned about is how do we know if the feeding that they're doing there is going well? Mm-hmm. And we really want baby to be um, swallowing milk and extracting milk using deep rhythmic sucks where the cheeks are sort of puffing out and you might see or hear the swallowing, particularly after your milk comes in as well as the sort of littler periods, shorter periods of what we call non-nutritive sucking, which is more fast, fluttery, dummy sucking. And the way to tell that that's happening, as well as observing your baby, and I've got a really good video on my Instagram page um, on this. Um, I don't know how that can get shared, where I've got like um, a commentary over it to show a nine-day-old baby sort of feeding milk well. But, um, you know, looking at videos like that can be really helpful, whether it's mine or another one. But um, that goes alongside your baby's milestones for how many poos they should do and how many wees they should be doing, especially in the first few days um, or so. So you're looking at um, two poos greater than um, a two pound coin from day two onwards, is it, Pip? Yeah, 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 yeah. In the first few days, it's quite nice because it almost matches how many days they are. Days, yes, it one on day one, two on day two. That's right. And the same with wheeze. So you go up by each by a number of wees each day till day six, um, looking at sort of heavy nappies. Um, and so, um, and the weight, you know, and it's not unusual for babies to lose weight uh, after they're born and, and take a little bit of time to regain that weight. But you'll be checking in with a healthcare pre- uh, practitioner, a midwife or a health visitor. He'll be monitoring that and he'll be advising on whether that weight loss and then um, their weight gain afterwards is appropriate for your baby. And if there are issues in terms of your baby's output, i.e. what's going out, it can be a sign that not enough's going in and that that weight gain. So um, that would be how you would tell if things are going well and, and knowing when to seek support. I don't know if you've got anything to add about the sort of wheeze and poos and accessing, you know, health visitors and midwives. I think you've summarised it really nicely, actually, Stacey. And I would recommend to anyone listening who's sort of thinking about breastfeeding or has got a baby and is feeding please check out Stacey's video. So her Instagram account is linked in the bio. So just um, go through and have a little look because actually having a visual understanding um, is really brilliant. And you have a a different angle. When the baby's on you, the angle that you're looking at is very different to when you're looking at a video. So it's quite good to see it at at a more kind of um, straight on angle, I suppose, than kind of when you're looking down at yourself. It's a really good little aid memoir and, and resource. So please do check that out. Um, and I guess I'll just add in here if you've got any if you're in this moment if you're listening to this now and you're in this moment and you're like oh you know what actually I think I've only had x number of my nappies oh I'm a bit worried actually or you know there are things you can do right now to help so number one make sure that you're offering your baby both breasts at each feed this is for anyone now in the newborn days they're waking up for feeding is really rubbish and unreliable and so that means that they will feed for 20 minutes and fall asleep on boob one 
hey, we're not going to let them do that, right? So we're going to still wake them and offer boob too. If they're having none of it, we can then trust them. If they will latch and then take, you could double the amount of intake just by waking them between boobs. So um, again, I've got loads of content on this, but offer both boobs at each feed and let your baby decide. But in the newborn days, wake them between boobs and re-offer. And the second thing you can be doing if you're in that place right now is start using breast compressions, which is a bit like hand expressing. So when the baby's on the breast, they're getting sleepy and they stop sucking you can just um, gently compress and squeeze the breast in order to just stimulate a little bit more of milk flow to the baby and then trigger the baby to suck again. Um, there are things that you could be doing. If your numbers are way out and you're thinking, gosh, I, you know, baby hasn't done a poo for it's been 24 hours, then you can pump some milk and give your baby some expressed milk either through um a finger through a syringe on a spoon or a bottle if um the volumes are um you know large enough so um, and get some help immediately you know don't worry about calling you know your health visitor or whatever go and get some immediate help I love that tip. I've not heard that um, compressing tip before, Stacey. I love that. I'll definitely be um, putting that into my practice. So yeah, thanks Thanks for sharing that. That's amazing. And I totally echo what you say as well about ask for help. I always say to women, there's no point me being awake on um, layboard all night. If you're sat at home worrying, call yeah. out what we're there for. Um, so, so please use our service. That is absolutely what we're there for. So definitely a really important point for, for anyone listening. Now, Stacey, anyone that comes on my podcast, I always ask for three top tips and you haven't escaped, I'm afraid. So I'm wondering <laughs> if you could try and share your three top tips for expectant parents um, to help prepare them for their infant feeding journey. Okay. So number one, inform yourself with good quality information. Number two, find your village Find who those people are at the middle of the night you're going to send a text to or you're going to call up or you're going to um, lean on on your journey that have been there and that can support and help you. And number three, identify where any specialist support is going to come from and have their number saved mm -hmm in your phone and your partner's phone so that if you don't have the sort of state of mind perhaps to get in touch your partner's got all that information because early support is the best support that you can get so all of my advice is about information and support Definitely. That is invaluable advice. Stacey, thank you so much for giving up your time to come on and help inform all the expectant and new mummies out there on their infant feeding journey. I am so grateful. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And I hope that um, it's of help to the mums that are listening. I've no doubt that it will be. Stacey, have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you found it helpful, then please hit subscribe and leave a review. It really does make a huge difference to the number of women we can reach out to and empower. For daily free information, 
inspiration, or details on our bespoke antenatal education courses, head over to my social medias at midwife underscore pip and my website midwifepip.com. I would love to hear from expectant mums who have found this episode useful and wish to embrace further support on their wellness journey. Pop your details in the Your Pregnancy Journey tab on my website and I will be back in touch. Thank you and see you next time. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.